talk to you this morning. This, in fact, this message this morning is going to help a lot of folks because this is very, very misunderstood subject. What I'm going to talk about is a very misunderstood subject in Bible believing, even in Bible believing circles. Among other circles, it's very, it's more, way more misunderstood than even among our circles. Uh, they have sometimes no idea of what it's about. Uh, you could, you could uh, title this Biblical Optimism. What is Biblical Optimism? Years ago, there was a man named Norman Vincent Peale. How many here? Norman Vincent Peale. Now, now, that's just the old folks because he wrote a book. It became a somewhat famous book, published in 1952. I was one year old. In 1952, he published a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. And it sold wildly. It sold wildly. Uh, he's called, Norman Vincent Peale is called the father of modern health and wealth gospel. He's the father of the modern health and wealth gospel movement, which was picked, his mantle was picked up by a man named Jim Baker. After uh, he, Vincent Peale died, and Jim Baker picked up that teaching. And after Jim Baker, many other preachers, especially TV and Internet preachers, followed in his path, the latest maybe being Joel Osteen. Most all of them are extremely successful in this world. They build big churches. People love to hear, people love to hear good news. You love to hear good news. The trouble is I'd be lying to you if I only told you good news. I mean, if you look around much and live in this world much, you know this world is, is, is as the song said, it's a dark place. It is a hard place. There are many, many hard things come upon people in this life that they struggle with. And so, though it sounds great, health and wealth, what is health and wealth as far as the TV preachers go, in short definition, is that God wants his children to prosper in this life and live a relatively trouble-free existence uh, in this life. The Bible-believing group, after Norman Vincent Peale wrote that book, compared the teachings of Paul on the subject of optimism to Norman Vincent Peale's book in 1952 on optimism. They compared the two teachings. And they said, basically, Paul is appealing and Peel is appalling. Because <laughs> it, it was false teaching. It was only teaching. When, teach, when you tell half a truth, what have you done? You've told a whole lie. I mean, I can, I can uh, pander you. And I can, you know, puff you up and just tell you you're really good looking and you know I'm lying. I mean, I can just tell you, you know, I can lie to you and tell you every good thing. You'll be, and you'll, you'll think I'm your best friend, but it won't be so. When I tell you the negative things that are going to help you and things that, are, if I tell you you got something on your, no, your nose, I'm your friend. Though that might not hurt your feelings at the moment, but you're going to be glad I told you. And be honest with you and straight up and down. So, a book written 
recently, not, not long ago, well, maybe now, you know, maybe 10 years ago, by Randy Elkhorn called Heaven. It's, it's a classical book, 700 pages. He could have wrote the book in 200 pages, to be honest with you. I, I just do not like wordy books. I believe books ought to be condensed and concise and get to the point and do what they're supposed to do and go down the road. 700 pages was a lot of fluff and a repetition of of the same thoughts and stuff. But I read all 700 pages. In that book, he calls the Health and Wellness Gospel, he says it this way, secular optimism or optimists are wishful thinkers. Secular optimists are wishful thinkers. They discover, these optimists do, the short-term payoffs of optimism. And there are payoffs of being optimistic. And they begin to write books on it, hold seminars on it, do positive thinking courses. And basically they capitalize over the subject of raw optimism. And for a while, when they begin that, things are looking up for them. People flock to them. They love to hear good things about them. That everything's going to work out wonderful and it's all great. And the problem is eventually even these optimists get sick, uh, get afflicted, and eventually die. And so they don't have much to say then. They get real quiet uh, at that time of their life. The key truth is the kind of optimism, this, this, kind of, this kind of Jim Baker optimism, the kind of Joel Osteen optimism, the kind of, and there's just a whole, whole plethora of, of, of people who teach that around the world because it's so popular and it's so lucrative for them to do that. But their kind of teaching on optimism is an illusion. I say that with authority this morning. That is not my opinion. It's the Bible's teaching on the subject. Because it fails to take into account the whole teaching of the Bible. That's why it's not true. And so the only true foundation for optimism, or what I call biblical optimism, is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. All other promises by the religions of the world are false and are an illusion and will eventually be a disappointment. I want to go in a parable and try to show you this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Many of you who have been at Sunday school know this parable well. And it talks about uh, the parable of the two houses it's referred to. I'm going to read it for you and make some comments. And I believe it will help you visualize what I'm going to try to show you from the book today. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, is Jesus' words, by the way, and doeth them. Underline the word doeth them, or Mark doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. So the parable is not talking about the house. It's talking about the foundation that you build your house on. Both houses may have been fabulous both houses may have been reconstructed, you know, uh, constructed in a correct way, reinforced steel, poured blocks, uh, headers, footers, do every kind of thing. But if you don't put it on the right foundation, it doesn't make any difference how much money or work you put in the house. It's not going to stand. That's what Jesus said. 
And everyone that heareth the sayings of mine, that's by the way the same phrase is in verse 24, and doeth them not. So you have the people who heard and did them. He heard Jesus and practiced what he said. And then you have the people who heard Jesus and did not practice what he said. Both heard Jesus. One practiced it, one didn't. Shall be likened unto a foolish man. The word foolish means moron. Who built his house upon the sand. He built a house. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great, great was the fall thereof. Why was it great? Because it's an eternal consequence. The foundations are primarily the theme, as I said, not the houses. Both built houses. Both heard Jesus' words. Both were energetic. Both paid high costs for their homes. Both sacrificed for their homes. Both were sincere. It rained on both, it flooded on both, it blew on both, it beat on both. One stood and one failed, and there was great loss. And this will happen to those that base their optimism on the wrong philosophical foundation. Because the object of optimism is the key, not just optimism. Uh, when, I, when I did a little message at the funeral for Lillian, I talked about faith. Faith doesn't help anybody. It's who you have the faith in. It's the object of the faith that helps folks. Have faith in Buddha. It's not going to help you. Help faith in, have faith in Muhammad. It's not going to help you. Have faith in a man somewhere and what he teaches. It's not going to help you. But have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave, and it will help you. And you have a reason in that point to be optimistic. So if you're building your foundation today on Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, you should be and I should be one of the, an optimist of the optimists. You get that? We should be called biblical optimists. Because any painful or harmful or agonizing experience that comes my way in this life is only temporary, short-term, and will pass. These things come to pass. I like that. They come, but not to stay. They come to pass. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I know a little bit what I'm talking about at 70 years old. Now, Chris, he had to have a hard time preaching this sermon because everything is gone. Everything's turned up roses for him up to this point. I mean, he married a fabulous woman, has one of three wonderful, healthy children. He doesn't have any Down syndrome children, doesn't have any autistic children, doesn't have any uh, other problems. Uh, all They got all their legs and feet and arms and parts, and, and he's working for me. I mean, how much better could it be? <laughs> but it won't stay that way. That's not negative. That's just real. It's realistic. Realistic. I'm not going to lie to you. Pain in this life may not be relieved until after death. God may give you a thorn in the flesh that's never going to go away. He did Paul. Paul said he prayed three times for it to leave him. And God said, no, no. No, no, no. You got that so you rely on me and that your grace, my grace will be sufficient for you. And you'll realize that my power rests upon people who trust in me not in themselves. 
And if you're healthy, wealthy, and woo, everything going good, you're going to be starting to trust. You're going to somehow, possibly, you're going to think you're that way because of your expertise. You're going to think that way maybe because of your intelligence. Maybe you're going to think that way because somehow your wisdom and you, you know, you made a lot of great decisions and you went to the right schools or you did this right and that's because you're successful. In the, that's the reason the rest of them people aren't successful like you are. That would be a lie. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> turn, turn this off. Can you... For all of you, for all of you that I shook your hand, <laughs> for all of you that shook your hand, I think I'd wash your hands if I was you. No, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. <coughs> <coughs> Losing my voice, but I'm not sick. Two people I want to bring up to you that are optimists, one, one was an optimist and now has gone to heaven, one is an optimist and still is alive. One of them name is Fanny Crosby. She lived from 1820 to 1915. Through a mistake of medicine applied to her, she went blind as a young child. It was a mistake. That's, first of all, so sad. She lost her eyesight because of a mistake as a baby, as a child. She was blind her whole life. No matter how much she prayed, she was blind her whole life. She wrote an unbelievable amount of songs. God gave her phenomenal ability to write songs, lyrics to songs especially. People from all over the country would come to her with a melody and they'd say, could you write the words to it? And she, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And so many more that we sing all these. Now, she died in 1915. We're still singing those songs because they are powerful and they're good. You would have never heard of Fanny Crosby or sung her songs, even if you didn't know her, unless she had some bad things happen to her. Real bad. Being blind isn't a little bad. It's very bad. I mean, it's awful. Never see a sunset. Never see a sunrise. Never see a rose. Never see a flower. Never. There's a lot of things, you know. There's somebody else that had that happen. Her name is Johnny, J-O-N-I. Now, how many know Johnny or heard of Johnny? Now, most of you have. Johnny may be about my age. But I remember when she, not long after, she dove off of a, some sort of a platform and dove head first. Don't dive head first into water if you don't know how deep it is. Go feet first. And she went head first, broke her neck, and became paralyzed from the neck down. I mean really paralyzed. I mean she writes with her mouth. She puts a pen in her mouth, puts an instrument in her mouth, and writes and with her mouth, does artwork from her mouth, but can't move her hands, has to have somebody change her. How humbling would that be to be? Paralyzed from the neck down. How humbling. Could you think of something worse that could happen to you? I can't. 
But I'm going to venture to say that you'd never know that girl, never know her name, and never knew she existed if God hadn't done that for her. Johnny is an optimistic soul. She's an optimistic soul. Wrote a book called Johnny. Wrote a testimony. Moved. Literally has, 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 brought, has introduced Christ to more people than I'd ever dream of doing. And I can walk and talk most of the time. My power, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I don't like that. But it's the Bible. It's the Bible. How are these ladies doing? Well, Fanny's doing great. Fanny Crosby's been in heaven for quite a while, since 1915. She's really happy. She can see. She can hear. She can walk. She can talk. She can taste. She can smell. How is uh, Johnny doing? Well, she's about my age. So she's coming towards the end of her life. Pretty soon, she's going to be able to walk and move about. And how long will that last, Brother Bill? Forever. How long did her incapacity last? 50, 60 years? That's a long time. I'm not diminishing it. My goodness, 50, 60 years. 50 years is a long time to be married to the same person. But it's good sometimes. But 50 years is a long time. 60 years is a long time. I'm not diminishing his suffering at all, but I'm telling you, compared to eternity, it's just a speck. Revelation 7, 17 says, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and they shall lead them under, ever, under living waters, fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That means there will be tears, but they're going to be wiped away. How long? Forever. I'm optimistic. Revelation 21, 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. That means there is that and will be that. Neither shall there be any more pain. Ooh, what a good day that will be. For the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I like new. He said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. You can lie to yourself. All you want to lie to yourself and pretend, and that's what false optimism really is, it's, it's positive imaging. If I think positive things, positive things are going to happen to me. You don't work biblical optimism up. God gives you the optimism with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And if you believe the Holy Spirit guides you and you read the Word of God, you will, you will no matter what, you go through in this life, and I say that with, with passion, God will wipe away all your tears. He'll take away all your sorrow. He'll take away all your pain, and it'll be forever. And he's even going to take away your memory, Peggy Fisher. Going to take away your memory of these things. You're not going to, I had a nightmare last night. How many people had a nightmare last night? Raise your hand. 
Must be going around. My wife had one. I had one. Same room. I don't know whether she's influencing me or I'm influencing her, but I mean, we had a nightmare together. I woke up. It was horrible. Nightmares are horrible. I mean, I, I was supposed to be somewhere and couldn't find my toothbrush and couldn't find my stuff and couldn't remember where the sermon was. I couldn't remember the Bible. I couldn't quote you John 3, 16. I was supposed to preach, and I was just so frustrated. I woke up. I had a headache, a throbbing headache. I said, man, whoo, I'm glad that's not true. You're going to wake up in eternity. You said, whoo, I'm glad that life wasn't true, meaning it's not lasting. I don't have to be in pain anymore. If you'll, if, you'll, if you'll do what? Put your foundation on the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then you get that kind of optimism. But it's not false optimism. It's not worked up optimism. It's, it's, it's the foundation of truth. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I may, I may do a little dance up here. You've never seen anything you've seen me dance. <laughs> True optimism is based on truth. The reality of the redemption and the resurrection. It's not some personal opinion or mindset or will. You don't will it. We will suffer. And it's often hard to bear. I can promise you a few things. One thing in life, you're going to suffer some. Somebody, it's going to be different than the neighbor. It's going to be different than each other, but we're all going to suffer some. Some. Many of you old people looking at me and say, appreciate that. I already have been through a lot. Well, you're getting ready to get released. But you will suffer some. As much as Bob Morris loves his little woman, she was up in the hospital having six bypassers, six some sort of stents, and he came down, and Bob couldn't hardly talk to us because he was crying. You know, he had broken up voice because he loves his woman. And he's been married forever to her, been married since she was 15, 16 years old. They've been married about 100 years. <laughs> and she's one of the best cooks I ever, I ever knew. Bob doesn't have a thing to complain about. He's eating better than any human being ought to eat. He was thinking of that being that that going her going to heaven. He couldn't hardly keep his composure to us as he talked to us. When your mate's taken from you, it's going to be hard on you. When your child is taken from you, it's going to be hard on you. But if you're a biblical optimist, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <clears throat> How can I be an optimist in the middle of trouble? That's a good question. Luke chapter 6, verse 22, 23 says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when shall separate their company uh, from you, basically, and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. I've had all of that. Rejoicing in that day and leap for joy. That seems strange. Leap for joy. When's the last time you leapt for joy? Some of you old people, if you leapt for joy, it would be 911 call. <laughs> I'd demonstrate a little leap in here, but I'm afraid I'd be 911 too. 
Leap for joy. Leap for joy. That's big. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did the fathers unto the prophets. 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice in so much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. I want to give you a verse to go home with, especially mark your Bibles with this, please. And I'm going to get mine out because I want to make sure I don't misquote it. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 is one of my stalwart, stalwart foundation pillars that I go back to when things are going bad. I go back to this verse. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. When God stops the process of you hoping and relying upon him, he'll give you sight in eternity. But the opportunity to demonstrate your faith will be over. Have you ever thought about that? When you go to heaven, the opportunity to demonstrate your faith is over. You ever look at this life as an opportunity? When Ron Hamilton got lost his eye with cancer, God moved him to write that song. He could not have written that song had he not had something really bad happen to him. Because look at the lyrics. The lyrics basically is him reasoning through that process. And coming out at the end, I'm going to come forward to his goal in eternity. It's going to be all right. I like the little child song that we do in junior church. Everything's all right in my father's house. In my father's house, in my father's house. Everything's all right in my father's house where there's joy, joy, joy. When you get down, remember, you get to be in your father's house. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place among those mansions for you. Glory to God. Christians should be the most optimistic people on the planet. Not that we miss out on bad things. Not that we don't have the same things happen to us as happened to them. But that we have the Lord Jesus Christ to go with us and to walk with us in the garden. We, the song says, I like this song. I'd sing it. I don't want to torment you. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Anchored in the rock that cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. That was for Nick. That's a, that's a sailor's song. You notice how many songs in the Bible talk about the ocean? That's because you get out in the ocean in a bad storm, you're going to get religion, brother. Nothing will intimidate you. Nothing will intimidate you like a really bad storm out on the water. I don't care how big a boat you got. Wow. Hold on, dear Christian. Build your foundation. Build your house, your life, upon the rock. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God. I can guarantee you the rain will descend and the floods will come and the wind will blow and it will beat on your house. 
but your house will not fall. You'll prevail. And God will welcome you into an everlasting kingdom. And this temporary suffering will be gone. Now the world looks on. I've seen enough Christians suffer to know. I've seen the joy of the Lord. The Bible says joy of the Lord is our strength. I've seen people suffering and I've seen them have that twinkle. That twinkle of joy. Yet in the midst, it's a strange thing. It's a strange combination of having joy in the midst of suffering. It really is a strange combination. But it's real. For born-again believers that trust in Christ, it's real. And, you, and the world looks on strangely at that, and they scratch their head, and they say, what is going on? Ooh, that's our testimony, isn't it? Why are those Christians optimistic in the middle of this tragic turn of events? That's because they understand what true biblical optimism is. And I hope you do also. Father, we pray that you'd come this morning in your power and your grace and you'd help these folks, that you'd help them to understand this straight up and down biblical truth. Nobody knows the future, and I thank you for that. We know the future big in the big picture. We know we're going to heaven by the grace of God. We know our soul has been saved by the blood of Christ, and we know the big picture, but we don't know the immediate upcoming future we don't know where we're going to end up or how we're going to end up as far as before we leave this old body but we know we are going to leave this old body we know we're coming in naked we know we go out naked we know that nobody there's no u-haul at a funeral nobody's taking anything away thank you we pray father that your hand be upon the people have heard the word of God, whether it be here or other places. Now, this is not pie in the sky, folks. Oh, God, help them not to see this as pie in the sky or vain promises, but real biblical truth. The generations have stood on and believed. And as they've made it through, gone to the other side. Help us, oh, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.